Hey, hey, welcome back to Tales from the Bolterlands. You're behind the curtain peek at what the Bolter Club is up to. I'm your host, Jared. Welcome to episode three. We really appreciate the feedback from the previous episodes. We know we're in needs for some polish, but we ask you guys, bear with us. We'll get better in time. We just need to get our reps in. I'm, personally, I'm going to work on getting my brain synapses to fire a little faster, help me put the names and places together, and hopefully get my thoughts to voice a little faster. On this episode, I finally get to have my good brother Ben for a little chat. Uh, ben has been the Butch Cassidy to my Sundance kid for almost 20 years now. And to this very day, he still willingly, well, mostly, acknowledges me in public in front of others. It's much appreciated. Ben has earned his good brother Factor 10 status time and time again, being the most excellent representation to our local hobby gaming community. Warrior, poet, philosopher, leader, dirty talker, funky walker, a true pillar of the community. And he's got a madman crush on for Rutger Hauer and Kurt Russell. I feel like these are all things we can all aspire to be and have. This is technically episode three, but it's still a first for Tales from the Bolterlands. Ben and I recorded this episode over the phone and not with my usual setup with my Blue Yeti Monster Pot of Power 3000 recording setup. I was really curious to hear the playback to compare the sound. Let us know what you think and how it sound, how it came out. In the, if you see there's a sound difference or compared to the previous recordings, let's let us know. Our schedules didn't really align to have Ben, Josh, and Chris record at the same time. But I, I didn't want to leave my, my man Ben's thoughts out there on our 40K theme questions. I wanted to give you some different perspectives. We had old school, new school, and folks too silly to walk away when they know they should have. Episode three is all Ben all the time, and we let the man say his piece on the matter. Like two old friends chatting late into the night, we got a little long, a little carried away, but we had a good time, and I did try to rein it in a little bit. There's some small edits in there that might be choppy, so apologies in advance if and when as necessary. I'm going to check back in with you on the outro, share a couple thoughts, and send you home with a peaceful and easy feeling. All that said, let's hear what the Obi-Wan Benjamin had to say on our 40K topic questions. Welcome you all back to Tales from the Bolter Lands. I'm joined tonight by a dear friend of mine. Some people know him as Ben Tobias. I know him as the Shogun of Sun Prairie. Ben, welcome back. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, Brother Jared. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank thank you for coming along, taking the ride. Uh, we this will probably end up the third or fourth episode as we as we record this. Um, I wasn't able to get Ben and Chris and Josh all together at the same time to to record. Um, we're going to I'm basically ask Ben to come on so we can do the the questions I gave to Chris. And to Josh, uh, I wanted to get his thoughts and his input, um, and then uh, we'll spend a little time and uh, talk about ninth a little bit, our early impressions. It hasn't released yet. I believe it goes on pre-order here in a week or two, and then after a couple weeks after that, it'll drop. So sometime in July, it looks like. Uh, so Ben, we'll get to it. Um, I asked the guys 
about, I gave them a few questions and I shared them with you. And first question I've got for you is going to the movies. So let's say, let's just pretend we'll fantasy book this. What happens if we'll say GW finally puts their foot down and they decide to go to the screen, whether, whether it's a full length feature um, I cheated a little bit on my answer with the guys because I did make a full uh, length feature uh, pick, but I also picked the small screen. You and I have been talking for years about what if they did something, you know, episodic, you know, with anime, with Adult Swim and or Cartoon Network or something along that line. Not so much, you know, kitty based trying to sell a toy, but more, you know, mature storyline. So what, what's your thoughts? What's your pick? Well, I mean, now we've had the luxury of seeing some pretty awesome fan-based movies. Uh, so we've got, like, something to mentally work off of. Um, I know that there's a couple of, you know, pretty popular ones. Uh, one in particular that's been, you know, really exciting for a lot of people to watch. It's a, you know, high-quality computer graphic type stuff. So I think definitely, you know, the visual technology is there. I do wonder, though, whether or not, like, Space Marines would be the appropriate starting topic. Uh, I, I've always kind of felt that it probably would be best served by starting with the human perspective so that you would have a, a broader base, a broader audience buy-in. Uh, you know, you can easily tell somebody that you're in the distant future, but if you just show up with Space Marines, it's, it's kind of like you know, it'd be kind of a little off-putting. You wouldn't have a good base. But, um, you know, I think there's really a lot of opportunity to do uh, smaller scale type stories. Uh, I always felt that probably the best thing to match 40K in this extreme diverse set of, you know, different things going on would be to do kind of like an old Tom Clancy novel where he would thread like six or seven stories throughout the novel and you kind of get different pieces and then eventually they weave together and then come together to a final conclusion. I think a, a Warhammer 40k movie like that might be doable. Um, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do like a ton of components, but you could probably do several and make it work. I think it would be a little bit much just to do like a single you know, faction or, or something along those lines. I'd still think it'd probably be a little bit better at a smaller scale, maybe a squad level type story, um, and then introduce or see other elements. Um, maybe even one of those mix-ups where you, you know, have a situation where a lone space marine ends up joining a, a Astra Militarum squad, you know, or a platoon or something along those lines. Uh, we've certainly seen that in some of the cut scenes in some of the movies where, you know, the humans are having a rough go of it and then something comes in like a space brain or, you know, Deptus Reedus or something like that. Yeah, you you and I were pretty much on the same page. Uh, that's exactly pretty close to what I uh, suggested. I was like, Stormtrooper, Scions, you know, that way it's a squad. You could have your character interaction. You wouldn't be writing for 20, you know, characters and trying to get them all to relate the uh, um, and then and we brought the same point of 
well, don't come out with Space Marines immediately. You know, that, that should be like the big thing is like, you know, seeing a Space Marine. Uh, you read as fans of the fictional, you know, you read that from the human perspective, they always, the, the Space Marines are legendary. Like people live their whole lives and never see them. Uh, but, but yeah, I, uh, well, and you, you also have the possibility of kind of doing the whole worlds of Ultramar kind of thing where, you know, this is the, the bright, shiny aspect of the Imperium where the worlds are beautiful and the environments are positive and clean. And people know about the Space Marines because, the, you know, the human population vies and competes to try to become a Space Marine. There's huge, long generational, you know, families that are, you know, structured to dedicating themselves to that kind of concept. So that would be another another take rather than so much the grim dark you know, horror of like a hive world or something along those lines, you could go more towards the positive future and then eventually bring in the darker elements as you established, you know, a series. I mean, trying to get that all wrapped up in a single movie, obviously, I think is really hard. I mean, because it's not like an origin story for a superhero character. You're talking about an origin story for a massively complex and well-developed universe. So, I mean, it's it's just that much harder, um, which is why I think you and I both talked about the fact that a, some type of a series would be would be more appropriate. Yeah, but I, yeah, I was a fan of Exo Squad, and I was trying to come up when we recorded with Chris and Josh. My brain kept cutting out; I couldn't make my references. So, like uh, the the cartoon Exo Squad uh, was uh, a great show. Uh, I really liked it. Uh, when I was a kid and I thought that that kind of model of the show would, would work really well with something like 40 K in the grim dark. Um, we, sure. I, uh, that was my suggestion, but I, but to play fair with the guys, I did put out a full feature uh, movie and I chose Eisenhorn by Dan Abnett. And I couldn't remember Dan's name. <laughs> ah, on okay. So now that I've had a chance to sleep since then, uh, when I read the, you know, it was a three book trilogy. When I, re- when I was reading book one, when it came out, you know, Abnett is such a good background guy. I mean, you can smell the, the ash in the air when, you know, for everything that's burning, you know, it's just, it's, a, uh, you know, it's, he paints such a good picture. And as I read the pages, I mean, the movie was playing a full color in my mind, uh, I think that's a good way to bring folks into the universe that is 40 K. Um, the, uh, and it'd be a contained, I mean, movie. And then if it did well, you start working other stuff in, but yeah, you're right. I agree that it's a huge universe. It's be so hard to do it. Uh, you know, even if you did like the Lord of the Rings intro where you spent like the, the, the first, you know, a few minutes, telling the history real quick i mean it's it's a little deeper on 40k side <laughs> well i should say you're talking about something that has decades of development yeah. i mean obviously watch, yeah watch that's had a, that awesome intro where it, it kind of brought you up to speed of who they were and fast you know in, in the length of the, of the song title thing well and, yeah yeah that great uh, affected deal with the almost like comic strip you know snapshots and then the 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 different uh flash bulbs and the the movement and the music Mm -hmm. that was that was really good 
I guess if I had to pick a story, I, uh, one that I thought, one of the characters I feel in 40K that's the most, how shall you say, um, not just engaging, but relatable, would be the Commissar uh, Cyphus Kane. Yep. The guy. Oh, man, that's a great pick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, here's this guy who's, yeah, he's serious, and yes, he's in this horrific universe, but they spend a lot of time, the author always spends a lot of time develop, developing his personal deal. Like, you know, this is a guy who's actively trying not to get into the thick of it. I mean, he does his job, but, you know, he's always kind of looking to skirt the duty a little bit or to enjoy life a little bit more than you expect in the grim dark. And, you know, there's other things. There's a love interest in some of the stories. And, you know, he always gets into the real exciting stuff. And it's kind of a, it's, it's a real relatable style. And, he, you know, between him and his, and his um, administrative uh, colleague that's the blank, uh, you know, I think that that yeah, would Jürgen. be, yeah, yeah, Jürgen, yeah, the guy was always making the, you know, and, and the whole Val Holland thing in general, you know, about the tea and, you know, just how misery is kind of their, their meat, you know, I think it would, I think it would work. Um, and of course he's been part of some incredible adventures and, uh, you know, he's got kind of like, not necessarily a lot of repeating characters other than Jürgen, but you know, there's enough. Um, I think yeah, there's I think it's the Inquisitor, right? The yeah, the female, the female Inquisitor. Yeah, that's always kind of going after. And and he tells some of the greatest stories. Like he, he tells a lot of stories about when he was in the Commissar School, and it's like you know they were had their version of football league or whatever, and they the Commissars always did really well. But then he was joking, and it's like then of course everybody always loses the Adeptus Cerritus because <laughs> they're just maniacal fanatic you know and of course the they just will things good to happen with their faith so kind of cheating yeah, <laughs> but just, yeah just, spending, I think, just spending some faith points on the play <laughs> yeah I, I think that's kind of one of there's some miracle dice involved that's what i'm saying yeah so yeah i i just think he would be a very relatable character because number one he's human number two he's not like some duty-bound captain america type that's just soaring all the time he's he he kind of interacts with like like a human would seem to to the horrors of the universe but yeah i obviously there's a lot of good ones but yeah when you think about it you need to do something that was relatable if you wanted this to be something other than a fan film that was going to be seen by you know a couple hundred thousand people across the planet but not a big deal you know it'd be really hard to cross over if you didn't have a start with a human relatable the other option of course could be you just go full xenos and make it an all orc movie i mean just do the orcs and just, <laughs> you know and don't tell anybody anybody no exposition you just start out with the orcs with the the british you know style of talking that they always have and all the written words and just yeah you know and unapologetic yeah i mean yeah no explanation no apologies just this is the way the world works we're fungus deal with it you know you got your grats you got your weird boys you got your you know everything you have all the big machines you got the stompers running around the speed freaks oh it would it would be a blast and you you do it with no apologies and just (laughs) just have a good time with it you know and 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 it'd have to be an r-rated one because it would be brutal you know it'd just be 
you know, you're looking at me funny. I'm going to take your teeth, you know, bam, (laughs) you know, you'd have to do it in IMAX so that, you know, you could have the super, you know, surround of all the different, uh, you know, the battle scenes and even better yet, you know, you have that really super Dolby, you know, sound system so that, when the uh, the loot is let go or the flash gets let go with their you know the really loud guns, you'd just be shaking the entire theater. That would be fun. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. And just, well, you yeah. came through, man. That was awesome. That was awesome. Oh, no doubt. Like opening scene is an orc uh, rock just translates out of the materium next to a, you know a planet and then just like crash lands into it, and that's your opener. Just just go from there. You know. <laughs> no subtlety nothing i think that would be that would be a blast but you know you have fun with it no doubt about it well that's fantastic that was, that was a great that is a great pick um so let, let's go into the big one let's just go ahead and knock out the top five uh starting with your five what's your uh so the 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 topic being from third edition till till now what are your official GW release um, top five items, you know, something that was either, you know, their IP, whether it was, you know, black library novels, rules, models, you name it, anything under the sun. And then if you like, you've, you've got a couple honorable mention slots. If you want to use them that don't have to be official GW, they can be more local or convention based or, Okay. So with your number five. All right. Well, um, I guess, yeah, number five uh, were the old metal uh, Zinch and T-Sun models. So I love the disc riders of Zinch, the guys on the pillow, you know, riding on the, just surfing on that. It was just such a, a fun model. And in our area, they just weren't that common. And I had a couple of them and, you know, I painted up the pillows all gold and, you know, you had the bright colors and it was a fun time. Uh, my other Zinch component was the old uh, metal T-Suns, you know, the, you know, basic walking line of all is dust death. I mean, they were a huge favorite of mine, particularly in third edition when I started because they were such a spectacular screen. And of course you had screening at that time. So you could walk that line of T-Suns and they had, the all is dust rule, so they ignored the strength four less shooting, which basically, you know, made them immune to, at that time, all infantry-based shooting. And then you could march up your good stuff behind them. And then they also had a unique rule. I remember they could move and still shoot at 24 inches. One shot only, of course, at that time. Yeah. But that was a really cool deal. I mean, they were pricey. I remember there being like about 23 points instead of the standard 15 for a space marine but you know for that you got the all is dust and the ability to shoot on the move and that 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 was my you know all-time favorite unit but in general here like i said the zinch and t-sun related models well that and then finally the pink horrors which i actually did paint you know with like a metallic pink and had a lot of fun with them um (laughs) because of course you know demons used to come in pretty pretty easily or much more effectively i think than they generally do now you know you you didn't have variable charge lengths and you could bring in big squads and stuff like that so i guess that was one of my picks for sure 
was that selection of those three units just for the models and the T-Suns, the Thousand Suns, mainly just for the rules. They just were a very effective screen and they matched my play style of kind of having this one wall, you know, go. And of course they had the, the sacred number was nine. So you had a big, a big squad of them too. So that kind of worked. Was that back when you still got, you got the free champion? If you kept the, if you kept the squad in the, the sacred number? Yeah. I don't believe that that unit had a champion at the time. I, I'm trying to remember, but I don't believe that they had, they didn't have a sorcerer that I recall. I could be wrong about that, but you're right. They used to have the, the aspiring champion upgrade was free if you had the magic number, but I don't, I can't remember if they, cause I don't remember having like a sorcerer model with the squad. Um, well, that we, we both have the same problem. We have so many additions loaded in our brain, you know, the files corrupt cause we don't know if we start getting memories we start remembering stuff out of different editions so well yeah i, I, mean, I didn't help that one too much in the question but <laughs> but yeah right. that was that's that's number five i guess um my number four would be uh my first army was the chaos uh dreadnought that always managed shooting my units at the most inopportune <laughs> times I, I can't tell you how many times during the third edition Rhino Rush, I would activate my Chaos Dreadnought and he would go crazy and shoot into the ba- back, the armor 10, the weak spot of my Rhino and blow it up in my deployment zone. That was, that brings, you know, both positive and negative memories. It was also one of the first models I actually painted, uh, the old metal Dreadnought and he had the big thunder hammer kind of yeah. thing and uh yeah it was just a great model it went together you know pretty well didn't have to pin it and uh i painted my first chaos army in a night lords theme um just because i like the the deep navy and the the brass and and stuff like that uh so that that would be my next favorite um i guess the next thing was more of a rule i really liked the way that the third edition close combat morale was decisive like you morale was very important leadership was very important and you had a pretty decent chance even with a space marine of potentially having a decisive combat where somebody lost ran away and got run down or got escorted off the board because you used to be able to do that as long as you stayed within so many inches they just had to keep running i think that that really made the risk reward of having to charge all the way across the field into the enemy shooting made the close combat work. I think one of the challenges today is that it is very difficult to get a good resolution out of close combat, so much so that the only close combat that most people do is extremely decisive in that they take the super powerful close combat units and you know they just wipe out their opponent and then they're looking to just basically trade because the assumption is now that if you assault something and you kill it you're just going to be out in the open or you kill most of it it'll whatever's in combat with you'll walk out and then the rest of the army will take care of you so that decisive nature yeah yeah it's a big big shift in game design from third to eighth for sure yeah i remember I, I, I'm, I'm with you on your decisiveness, 
point of the, the third edition combat rules. I just, I remember it being a little clunky because it like the whole fallback corridor wasn't well defined in the main rules. And there was always confusion around that for us yeah, that, locally. That was always a concern, you know, depending on the mission, what your deployment zone was, what the rule. I, I mean, I definitely understand why they moved away from that particular mechanic. Some of it, of course, was their design goal of trying to change this into more of a shooting game. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, they had introduced a couple of things, you know, where you had auto-breaking, you know, characteristics, like uh, when they introduced the Demon Prince rules in the first chapter approved, one of the things you could give them was Terrifying Visage or something like that, which basically said, if you won combat, they didn't roll. They just broke. And so there were some, you know, powerful things. But I do just like the fact that that particular style of close combat rules made leadership really important, put morale right where it needed to be. And, you know, it wasn't like an automatic situation where every time you got into close combat, you were going to have somebody get wiped out. But it was always a possibility if you had good roles. And, of course, if you brought a high-quality close combat unit, you had a pretty good chance of, of getting you know, somebody broken. Now, you didn't necessarily always run them down, but, you know, it created a lot of tactical, strategic thinking in terms of what you assaulted and how much you assaulted. And, you know, did you split it up? Did you try to do multiple charges? There were, there was a lot to it. Now, I think, you know, there's still that there to some extent. And mainly you're making a decision about how much Overwatch you're going to take. Although my understanding is now here, I've seen in some of these daily reports that they're giving us that Overwatch has been redefined as a stratagem instead of a basic rule, and that it will be a one CP strat, but you can only use, of course, one time in a phase. So that's going to radically change kind of some of the mechanics. Um, I don't think most melee-based armies were necessarily as concerned about overwatches being the only thing that was critical but it certainly will help um prevent a single unit that's up front screening that's a really good overwatching unit from blowing up multiple squads trying to assault it so again that's kind of that was my deal i like the decisiveness although i do like what i'm hearing out of the ninth edition with regard to Overwatch. I know certain people are not going to be happy at all with it, but I think it's going to be probably a little bit better in terms of returning that risk-reward aspect of if I bring a close combat unit, I'm taking a big risk because i got to get across the board. But if I do get there and I get within charge range and I make the charge, I don't want my opponent to just automatically have a chance of knocking the effectiveness out of the unit. Sure. Or against okay. some cases, you know, in some cases with Tau and some of the other, like the Iron Hands and the Space Marines with the re-rolls and stuff, you've got, you know, the opportunity to really put a shell hacking on a unit as they come in against your Overwatch. Yeah. Okay. So, That's a strong three. Your number two. Uh, um, probably, like I said here, the Cyphus Kane novels. I mean, Black Library was one of the topics, and I have to admit that over the years, I've enjoyed a lot of them. 
of course. And I, you know, a lot of the early ones when I was first playing the game there, you know, they were hit or miss. The, the, the quality of the authors were very quite a bit, you know, today, of course, they've got a whole slew of very professional, various, you know, very high quality writers. But over the years, I really enjoyed the Cyphus Kane novels. I did for the same reason we discussed. I found them relatable. I found him, you know, entertaining. There was a fair bit of humor. Um, and that, I guess, you know, my number two was just these older novels. Since a lot of them were, you know, very specific, they weren't written for a broad audience. They were obviously only ever going to be read by people who played Warhammer 40K. And if you ever wanted to have that real meaning added to the miniature hobby part of your game, those black library novels were it and they really helped new players that you know maybe hadn't been around during rogue trader and whatnot kind of give you flesh things out and he was always just my favorite and i I remember talking with you many times wondering where in the hell that high power switch was on the last guns yeah exactly yeah when cyphus kane's guardsmen were fighting the necrons or when they were fighting the Chaos Space Marines and they're like, oh, we'll set our LAS guns to high to penetrate the armor. And you're like, oh, for the love of, <laughs> the, love of yeah. the Emperor, where is my power center? <sighs> but well, my, my favorite was when uh, Jurgen uh, fired his melt gun that he always carried. Uh, and uh, he fanned it when he shot it. And it took out like the Gene Steeler Primark yeah. and like, 15 <laughs> other guys. I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but yeah, it's well. Like, yeah, I want that melted gun. What, yeah. what, what what regiment do I sign up for? I want that on my table. Yeah, yeah. What what regimental doctrine allows you to do blast weapon? You know, melted guns. Yeah, that was a great great literary scene where Jurgen steps into the uh, patriarch's lair. First, he uses his blank power to completely shut him down, and then he just 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 takes him out with that melt. It was so sweet. That was good times. <laughs> like, oh, that's the best, what, five-point guardsman ever? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I always kind of thought of him as like, uh, you know, Kel kind of bodyguard slash, you know, almost lieutenant level, even though, uh, you know, most of the time he spent basically, you know, making tea and doing some reports that he was good at, which of course what Cyphus Kane really liked him for is he could do the paperwork too. So <laughs> anyway, good times. Well, that was a fantastic pick. That did not let, that was a, do not feel let down at all on that one. All right. Drum roll. What's your number one? Well, my number one, I guess, was just the chapter approved books because chapter approved, particularly the first one, because I was a chaos player at the time and because it provided a number of meaningful changes that really kind of was their first attempt while I started, since I had started the game to make units more useful. You know, in that first chapter approved, you got the Terminators getting the Crux Terminatus because the third edition Terminators with a two plus save just didn't cut it when you had AP2 weaponry out there. And then you got the whole um, start of what 
they did with introducing new rules for particular units like the Demon Prince. So you suddenly had all these customizable rules. And if I recall, the first one also had the custom vehicle rules in the back. And so yep. the what DDR. I... Yep, yeah, sure did. that's right. And so what I... I mean, my number one pick has been back when GW really seemed to take a very concerted effort to make individual units useful. Like they, at that time, were identifying things that didn't seem to necessarily be working or cutting and, you know, making it, and they would change it with a couple extra rules. And, of course, this was back when, you know, you might wait five years for a new codex, and, you know, this was really needed. And it was a, you know, it wasn't just about adjusting points. It was about how do we make these models that people have bought that have invested time and effort in more playable, more useful in the game. And so I guess that's my number one pick. I look at what chapter approved has become in terms of being generally just a meta based point shuffle, not necessarily meant to say, Oh, you've got all these models. We've noticed that nobody's playing with these models anymore we're going to make some slight changes. I know sometimes they've done a little bit of that with certain armies and like the white dwarf. And I guess in a sense, that's kind of the, the way that they sometimes do that. But that, that I guess out of all the different things that GW had done and over all the years, when they started making changes like that to, to certain unit types to really make them better so that you didn't feel like you wasted your time and your money. I thought that was a great deal. I don't, that's not necessarily the focus now, but I think it's, you know, something they could easily get back to. You know, if you're going to have codexes that have 20 units in it, but nobody plays more than four or five of them, that seems to be, yeah. you know. Well, like, like we used to talk about with the Blood Angels, they've got 15 elite choices. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, okay, yeah, I might be exaggerating a little bit, but it's like they're drunk on elite choices, but they always take the same one or two if they're going to take any at all. And it's like, why? Why have all these units if there's no, you know, of course, obviously everybody plays a little different. You know, some folks, you know, it's the rule of cool. They like the model, they're going to play with it. And, you know, I yeah. respect and love that. You know, you got folks that want efficiency. It's like, well, for the points I take, this it does this, and I really like it, and it's bump, bump, bump. You know, okay, yeah, respect, I get it. But some of those codexes got crazy with the the units, you know, number of units. While flip side, Necrons had a single troop choice for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like it didn't it didn't change. It's like nope, still playing warriors. Yep, yep. You know, well, and certainly the, the trend here in the last several years of them essentially generating codexes out of what were basically white dwarf article units uh, or, you know, things that have been supplemental mm -hmm. at best, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Adeptus Custodes or the Grey Knights or even the Adeptus Ceritas, you know, a great deal of what used to be just cool add-ons, like you used to be able to take a unit of Grey Knights you know, prior to them having a full codex. But if you look, you know, it's like if your entire army can be contained in five kits, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, codex worthy. 
it's certainly awesome that they made those models and it's cool that people have gone through and have the option to make that a complete you know army out of them yeah but it's it's, it's kind of more like a formation you know uh kind of setting with with five boxes because i've noticed that with age of sigmar if you look at age of sigmar the whole army is inside of five boxes yeah you know there's there's less blisters these days for just about everything but um but you know if you look around at all the different factions or the little you know the uh war bands or, or, or i'm not sure i don't play sigmar i'm not well read but just by observing the the kits on the wall when you go through the stores every faction's got like five boxes and if you picked one of each up you'd have a full army obviously you can tailor it and customize it like well i really like this unit i want two of those you know in place of this or or whatever but yeah i I told you did you have any uh, honorable mentions well i did really like my fifth edition blood angel drop pod dreadnought army there was something just uniquely fun about dropping four drop pods filled with murder machine dreadnoughts right at your opponent's line and being able to take a risk because of course they, they, you know, they had scatter then and you would just, you could just put something right in their face and granted they didn't always do well. They didn't always, you know, succeed in chopping up the enemy, but you had this ability to just basically put this right in their face and say, deal with it. And, you know, if he had some lucky dice, you could you could do some real things. But it gave me the opportunity, and that was kind of the last time I played before I came back in 8th, because I missed 6th and 7th edition, basically. You know, that gave me the opportunity to kind of dictate the tempo of the game, which is something that I think has kind of been lost, because now the tempo or the style is pretty much the same for all the games in 8th. It's... You know, whoever's going to get that early alpha strike off, you know, situation. And even though that drop pod was kind of an alpha strike, it wasn't something that the the armies were incapable of dealing with. It just kind of said, well, the first two turns, you're kind of going to be dealing with this and then we can play your game if you want. But, you know, you're going to kind of deal with it. So that was that was an honorable mention. Um, I always kind of liked the old Flames of Zinch. Uh, sorcerer power that Chaos had that basically turned the sorcerer into a las cannon, which used, of course, to be a pretty big deal. It was a high, highly accurate one. Yep. And then, then you know, of course, uh, one of the all-time coolest machines was the big the death roller on the on the orc battle wagon. <laughs> you know, the fact that you basically could just drive over people, and it, it's kind of like for me, it brings back memories of the old blood bowl that you could have the dwarves and the dwarves could literally have like a death roll machine out on the pitch. Uh, so that, that always kind of brings up a image in the back of my head. I never figured out how the ref didn't see that, but I, yep. Yep. Well, sometimes the ref had a little help, you know, they get bonked on the head or, you know, a little, <laughs> a little bribe. Usually the, the dwarves seem to do a lot of bribing if I recall on the pitch you'd always uh, save a little extra money for that bribe because you didn't want to get uh, get that machine that you paid a lot for t- tossed out but <laughs> yeah i mean i still 
I still like uh, Warhammer 40K. I still want to play it. I still watch battle reports during this whole isolation. I've watched more battle reports than I had in the previous five years, no doubt about it. And, you know, it's just a very different tempo, a very different type of game, you know, very combo driven, very much related around the stratagems, um, less so about the units and less so about good composition or, you know, less so about building an army that can do a lot of different things because you really only need to do one thing well and you can just make that work, particularly with a competitive tournament scene where you're picking your own objectives and stuff like that. So I think that's something that's a bit missing. I mean, if you reintroduced composition rules or mission types, I mean, remember missions where you'd have to go across the board, get something, and then bring it back? I mean, you could never do that in current edition. I mean, eighth wouldn't, nothing would survive past the midfield. I mean, it's, you could maybe start by dropping something, but you'd never get back. Because right now, you know, at this point in the game, if they see it, they kill it. And that's, they may not be able to kill everything, but they can definitely kill one thing. And so I think that's, that's a little bit, uh, I, I'm nostalgic for that. And I, I know I sound like the old man saying, get off my lawn and talking about, you know, how it was so much better in my day. I know there were tons of problems. People hated the Rhino Rush. There were lots of things that people got tired of. But there are a lot of things that I think, you know, qualitative aspects that we maybe, we maybe miss a little bit. And, yeah, that's I still love the game, though. <laughs> All right, last question. And this will lead, let's lead us out. Um so if you were the shot caller at G-Dub, you know, you all of a sudden, Ben Tobias was in charge of game development, and you could change two things. And then this, well, change is the wrong word. Simply, you had two moves to make. What would you do with that newfound power in 40K game development? Well, the two things I wrote down, well, the first one's pretty straightforward. I'd change the strength versus toughness table so that any delta of more than two would prevent the possibility of wound. Basically, what I mean is you have to be within two strength to be able to damage something, given the toughness strength comparison. So a bolter can't, under my change, wouldn't be able to hurt a rhino. You know, So something that's meant to be an armored personnel carrier isn't going to be affected by basic shooting. And what that would mean, the goal, my legislative intent behind this change would be that it would once again force an opponent when they're building their force to have to prepare for an army that might be heavily favoring one side or the other so that they couldn't just pick one thing that they do well and go with it. They'd have to prepare for a wider array of possibilities. So, you know, you couldn't just kill everybody with your intercessors. You'd have to bring a little bit of the heavy, a little bit of there. And if you happen to not bring enough and your opponent is able to focus on that unit, you might literally end up with, you know, uh, a set of units that your opponent just can no longer deal with at the end of the turns because they had not, you know, done a good job in composition. So that's change number one. Um I don't think that would be perfect. There'd have to be a lot of little things that have to be changed to make that work. But I think reintroducing the you can't hurt that with this component 
would probably make the game far more interesting. Um, although, obviously, when you have something like Chaos or Imperial Knights, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> uh, have included them in match play anyway. I always thought those things belonged in Apocalypse because nobody's army was designed to fight an all-toughness eight army. But anyway, and then number two, I would change the morale um, to basically be a little bit like it was before where your situation is you could have the, if you fail the morale, you have to disengage unfavorably. Um, and to go along with that, I would change the role of leaders to giving you a buff to your leadership or a buff to the reaction or the opportunity to react to a failed leadership role rather than giving re-rolls to, to hit wound. So essentially, if you're looking at an example, it would be like Space Marines. So instead of having the captain and the lieutenant provide re-rolls, they would give leadership auras or leadership buffs or give them the ability to issue a command and say, get back in the fight kind of thing. Excellent. All right. Well, I know ninth edition is getting closer. Uh, I believe, like I said, we, we mentioned earlier, I think the pre-order is going to happen uh, next couple of weeks. So I think they're doing a two week pre-order on it before it drops. So we're looking at you know July time frame. Uh, you told me um, before we were recording last time we were talking on the phone that you were working on your little gridleys, putting your getting your tyrannids together. Yeah, I had uh, started collecting that um, when you know we got back in we got back into the game with Eighth Edition. Um, you know, I've always kind of been more of a fan of the melee army and what I had left from the fifth edition when I stopped was a blood angels army. And, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was a huge fan of these drop pods with dreadnoughts. Well, it turns out that in the intervening years, they've eliminated dreadnought drop pods, uh, at least non forge world variants. So a great deal of my army didn't really make sense anymore. And so I started collecting the tyranids and, you know, at this point, it was literally just collecting, buying units, putting them together time and time. But I never got them to the point where I was ready to play. And here in the last, you know, during this isolation here, I've been able to have a lot of extra time to finally get all those kits put together. Uh, and I now pretty much, you know, have a, a proper collection, as I, I would call it, from like a third edition perspective. I've got a little bit of just about everything. There's one or two units uh, that I definitely don't have, but you know, most of the, the common stuff is present and I've got a couple of options to split in and out. Uh, I am of course, anxiously waiting to hear what the final rule set is for the ninth edition to make some of my final choices in terms of extra couple of things I might buy. I appreciate you coming on and, and spending time and sharing your thoughts. It's, you brought back some great memories and, and uh, uh, with your, with your picks and uh, the uh, we'll have another opportunity to sit down and, and kind of go over our, our gaming histories. I want the folks to get to know the, the cast of characters that we're going to have come in and out of these episodes and uh, looking forward to, to the release of ninth edition and see what's, what it looks like. 
and getting some games in, uh, even though they might be through a webcam. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we got to get ready, though, because we're going to have our dusty episode. We'll talk a little dust. Here oh, yeah. Long. So, again, thank you so much for, for spending time with us tonight. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get back together real soon. Thank you, buddy. Sounds great. Thanks, brother Jared. Thanks again to the main man, the Shogun of Sun Prairie, for making time to record the episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear a little more, hit that like button. Tell us, tell a friend, and hit that share button for us for Tales from the Bolterlands. As always, our commitment to you. If you don't have a friend, you contact us and a friend will be assigned to you. For you repeat customers, we now offer up for a nominal upgrade. We proudly present a Benjamin level of friendship package. That's right. You too can be a friend of Ben's. By the way, we do take PayPal. You can find the Tales from the Bolterlands on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and Breaker. Take a minute to put in a review. Be gentle. You know we're still a little raw at this. You can find us on our Facebook page, The Bolter Club. Come on by and take part in our gaming community. Leave us a little note. Let us know what you're thinking, what you want to hear about in gaming. You can also find me on my Twitter machine, at Bolter Club, one word. Please continue to be a good brother and a good sister to your community during these trying times. Give your fam, give them a little call. Let them know you're thinking about them. Remember, folks. Peace, love, and good gaming all around. Catch you next time. Okay, friends and neighbors, we spent a little time talking about some 40K fantasy booking. What would we do if we were in charge and just our overall thoughts, but... We're going to put that aside for a little while until the new edition drops. So we'll circle back to talk about our first impressions once we see the full kit. But upcoming, we're going to be talking about some Dust 1947. We're going to tell you what it is, the story behind it, the narrative, the game structure, and how we play it. It's a pretty sweet system. We think you'll like it. And if we can, we're going to work in some some interview time and get to know some of the members of the Bolter Club, get some of the folks that you're hearing, get to know a little more about them, the games they've played, the, the stuff they've been into. So until then, take care.